Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Copon. Wikipedia, the font of all wisdom, defines paradise thus. In religion, paradise is a place of exceptional happiness and delight. Paradisiacal notions are often laden with pastoral imagery and may be cosmogonical, which means pertaining to the origin, history, or structure and dynamics of the universe, or eschatological, which means relating to death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind, or both, and paradise is often compared to the miseries of human civilization. In paradise, there is only peace, prosperity, and happiness. Paradise is a place of contentment, a land of luxury and fulfilment. Paradise is often described as a higher place, the holiest place, in contrast to this world or underworlds such as hell. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you finger-licking figgy pudding. My name's Owen, and I want to thank you so much, you beautiful, beautiful person, for listening. While other teams in the English Premier League are dealing with Champions League bans, poor form, threats of relegation, dodgy defences, blunt attacks and other nightmarish, hellish scenarios, Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool FC just keep on chugging along in the land of luxury and fulfilment. Here to discuss Norwich City nil, Liverpool 1, Atletico Madrid and the Manchester City situation are Dave in Ireland and Fergus in Portugal. So let's do to this episode what most of us do to a fresh pair of underpants in the morning and get right into it. Um, the final whistle went about 45 minutes ago as we're recording this um, on Liverpool 1, Norwich City 0. And we set another record. And I want to just give you a bit of context for this. Um, the English Football League was founded in 1888 the Italian Football League in 1898. La Liga was founded in 1929. Ligue 1 in 1932. And the Bundesliga is the wee whippersnapper, having been founded only 58 years ago, back in 1962. And in none of those five leagues, in the history of those five leagues, have you seen a team as dominant as this Liverpool team in the first 26 games? No team in any of Europe's top five leagues have won 25 and drawn one. Uh, Fergus, welcome back to Cop On Podcast. Um, how are you feeling? Well, I, I was thinking immediately after the, the, the game today and the result, when you look at the players and, you know, as fans, as fanatics of Liverpool, we tend to watch and identify with every single player, you know, and they're, they're like, almost like our family because that's how much we obsess over them. And when I, what I'm prou proudest of and the insight I have 
for the Liverpool team and squad is that each and every one of those players have come up and in an unconventional fashion and they're underdogs, you know. If you look at Mo Salah, he was rejected by Chelsea. He came up from Egypt, which was a country which was, you know, Egypt doesn't produce sporting and footballing superstars. It gets the, the occasional or odd player through to the top leagues in Europe, but it doesn't produce a world superstar normally, but it has with Mo Salah. So Salah was, he was, I've heard a story recently whereby he was, he was made to cry at half time in a Chelsea game because he hadn't, by, by Mourinho, because he hadn't performed the way Mourinho wanted him to. And Mourinho reduced him to tears during the half time break during a Chelsea match. Now there's players, that's Salah. You've got Robertson who, was, who came up working in Tesco while he was trying to make it as a footballer in Scotland, coming up through Hull, relegated, transferred to Liverpool. You've got Mane, who couldn't, didn't even have boots to train in when he was learning how to play football and, and traveling to, to his academy in, in uh, Senegal, I think it was. And then every single player, Joe Gomez came up from Charlton, uh, Virgil van Dijk, no one fancied him. He was at Groningen. He didn't even make it to PSV or Ajax. And then he went to uh, Celtic and none of the big clubs bought him from Celtic. Henderson, you know, um, Sunderland and then then could could never was never seen to to live up to the grade at Liverpool and yet now he has he's lifted the European Cup and he's about to lift the uh, and when you look at every single player Bobby Firmino came from from mid-table Bundesliga again to lifting the European Cup so every player in the Liverpool lineup um, reflects that attitude. Trent, he was a scouser, and you know, a working-class scouser who who came up through sheer grit, determination, and um, talent. Every player in that lineup, they reflect that attitude that Klopp has, whereby it's hard work, dedication, passion, enjoyment, and and I think when you reflect on this Liverpool team, and that's why that that's what you see, and that's why in every single game you see what they give. And they give everything for themselves and everything for the cause. And that's why they don't take anything for granted. And that's why they're setting records is because they are all underdogs and they're all, um, in a way, they've come up uh, programming themselves to perform and, and to prove people wrong and to always perform at the highest level because that's what they've always done. So it's, it's, sorry to expand so 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 largely on your question, but I think that's what I think when I see the, the records that, that, that they're setting. It's an absolutely brilliant answer. It's a beautiful answer. Uh, Dave, these guys, I mean, yeah, as Fergus said, you can, you can relate to their the, the living um, each game like it, uh, like it was their last ever game. They're doing so unbelievably well. Um, we're now 26 points ahead of third place Leicester, who could be 
second place Leicester if City get a points reduction, but 26 points ahead of third, whereas third place Leicester are 26 points away from 19th in the table. This team is beyond stratospheric. It, it could be beyond exospheric. It's just in the cosmos, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, in, a, it's, in, it's in a world and it's in a dimension of its own, Dave. <laughs> exactly, Owen, yeah. I'll tell you what it is. This team are interstellar. I mean, this is the world we've got to use for them. They're superstars. You know, most top teams are superstars. But this team are interstellar. They're just on a different dimension, as you just said. I mean, the records, you can talk about records all week. I mean, records are there to be broken, of course. This team, like, as you just said, 25 wins. One draw out of 26. I don't think it's ever been done before at the top level. This team has done it and will go on and on and on. I mean, we play West Ham at Anfield uh, Monday week. I'm sure we'll hammer them as well. So there's another one. But it's just, they also remind me also this team of like a living organism. The whole squad I'm talking about, Klopp included, FSG, the whole lot, the all the all encompassing. They're like the great barrier reef off the coast of Australia. They're they're they're, they're huge. They're all encompassing on the pitch, but they're alive. They're actually it's actually alive. It's a living organism. So when they come on to the, play the game, nobody gets any space on the pitch. They just encompass. They ex, they expand into all the crevices on the pitch. You can't get. You can't even breathe. You can't play. And every now and again, every now and again, a little fish comes out from the coral reef and buries it into the top corner or into the bottom corner, like Mane did today, came on late, came on sub, wasn't quite fit to start the game. What a player to come on, though. Well, most he'll start anyway, but Mane in the mirror, as I call him, came on, won the day for us. But it's more than that. I mean, it's way more than that. This happened way back in October 2015 when Klopp came into the team and FSG took a punt on him. It's been going on for four years. It's a rebuild. It's, it's, it's a... It's a dynasty, really. It's a building the dynasty. He's another four years on the cards. He's another four years left. We've all the boys tied up the contracts. It's the great barrier reef of LFC. It's unbelievable. We're on a clean sheets. We're keeping clean sheets now as well. That's another clean sheet. What's that? Eight Premier League clean sheets in a row. Something ridiculous like that. More clean sheets than the Hilton Hotel or Jury's Hotel. Probably Hilton, to be honest. More five-star. But, um, you know, it's just, it's dreamland. I actually, as I said in the last podcast, I, I'm still pinching myself talking about leagues and winning the Premier League. It's 30 years, 30 years, three decades since we won this. If you would have told anybody back in 1990, the last time Liverpool won the league, that you would be waiting three decades to win your next league title, you would have sent them to an asylum. There is no doubt about it. But it's going to happen. The dream is coming true. It's only around the corner. We're like in Beaches Brook. We're like an entry. We're running. We're in the clear. We've only got maybe two or three little little hurdles to jump over. Nobody's behind us. Most of them have fallen behind us. We're on the thing. We can even have a drink on the horse. You can relax. It's coming home. Number 19. This team are interstellar, baby. <laughs> Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Um, the goal you mentioned, Sadio, the main man, man, eh? Sadio, the lion of Taranga. His snarl, he's got the best snarl in football. 
absolutely beautiful to watch and that goal Fergus that goal those two touches for me the first one was pure Shaolin Kung Fu praying mantis style to get that ball under control and then to rifle in uh, with the left foot shot it was really a rifle it was a shotgun boom bang Tim Krul couldn't even see it. Uh, what a difference he made when he came on, Fergus. Talk to us about Sadio. Yeah, Sadio made a great difference. I mean, I, I thought Ox, Oxlade did did a, a brilliant job on the left-hand side. His his game was kind of understated, uh, which, which it often is. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a meme going around whereby Ox only, what else does he do apart from score goals, um, which is a bit cruel, actually. He does <laughs> score great goals. But, I mean, he had one shot on target today. Um, just looking at the stats now, he had 39 touches. He had 90% accurate passes, two key passes, and five out of five long long balls accurate. Okay, I, I, I wouldn't say that Oxlade stood out much to the eye today, but, I mean, he got a very good rating on um, on SofaScore. So... So he he does do an unsung job, and Ox is another one of those underdogs who's come up. He didn't quite make it at at, um, at Wenger's Arsenal, but he's come in. Klopp spotted something, FSG spotted something, and they they bought him for a relatively modest price. And and he's really now he's he's one of the first names on the team sheet since now he's come back to being fully fit. And Klopp's Klopp tries to fit him in in midfield or on the left in in place of of Mane. So, so Oxted did well today up until the 60th minute, but Mane came on and it's more his natural position. I think Ox is much better and much more suited and much happier breaking from the middle of the park where he, he can surprise players with a burst of pace. He can surprise defenders with a shot. On the left, he, he, he's been watching Mane, he does his best and he did, did, did well today. But but Mane is world class, and he came on. He made the difference straight away. Norwich were on the back foot, and you know I wanted to give, even though Henderson got the assist for that um, goal today by Mane. Mane assisted himself, even though Hendo punted the ball into the box. Mane's first touch was an assist, and his second touch was a goal. So I'd I'd give Mane the assist, even though I mean. By official assist rules, you can't give an assist to the same player. But I'd give him both. I'd give him the assist and the goal because it was a very ordinary pass by Henderson. He punted it. I mean, I, I love Henderson like I, I, I love my brother. But, um, you know, he, he's not. He, he's a great footballer, but he's not the most talented pass, passer in the world. Um, and he does these long punts into the box, these sort of chipped punts. Um, I used to play in, in the AUL in, in Cork in Ireland, and uh, they're the kind of passes that uh, that our players used to do into the box, J- just just to lob it into the box and get it in there. But um, so that was the kind of uh, ball it was. It w- it was a nothing pass. It was a percentage pass into the box, and Mane made made the best of it with with a beautiful um, right foot control and, and a left foot um, volley into the into the corner. Immediately, I mean, Tim Krul is a fantastic. The only reason he's not spoken of as one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League is because of he's been he was out injured for like three years and he couldn't get his place back in the team. He was at Newcastle. I mean, what a great goalkeeper he, he is. And you've seen his performances this year every time you've seen, seen Norwich play or a match of the day or whatever. And you saw the save from Keita. 
So he was brilliant uh, for Norwich. Dave, you mentioned the clean sheets before. I'm just going through our results very quickly, as quickly as I can. Since the seventh, well, since we beat Everton 5-2, disappointed to concede two goals to the Ev, um, we have beaten uh, Bournemouth, Watford, Leicester, Wolves, Sheffield United, Tottenham, Man United, Wolves, um, West Ham, Southampton and now Norwich and in all of that time Dave we have conceded one goal that was against Wolverhampton Wanderers and we won that match 2-1 it's phenomenal stuff um, who stood out for you today Dave? Um, there was one or two players that stood I thought Alison Becker in goal Alison was in Wonderland today he made interceptions that great save in the first half when uh, Norwich attacked and they squared it to Pukey. Pukey makes me sick. <laughs> but uh, it was a probably, I don't know, no, he did well. He got his hand to it and scooped it away. Otherwise, it was a tap-in for Pukey. But uh, Allison was his usual best. He's commanding at the back like a gladiator from Roman times at the back. He would do well in Gladiator, the film of Spartacus, or one of those films, of course, because he has the look. But um, he was brilliant. DVD was his usual colossal best. But... Um, other than that, I thought Hendo was really good in the midfield. Of course, he, he's got to be player of the year, there's no doubt about it in my book. Um, captain of the team, he's been a phenomenal for the last two seasons. He gave the ball for the goal, the assist, a lovely spot. He, as you said, he did it in the first half for Bobby No-Luck with his kung fu fighting touch. He wasn't just punting it in, he actually, it was a meant, that ball was meant right to the foot. And uh, obviously Sadio controlled it unbelievably and finished it. So, But but this is the difference with Hendo. So Hendo, VVD and Allison stood out for me. But the difference with Hendo this season especially is he used to be known as a sideways ban or a back to the goalkeeper man, but everything's going forward. Everything's positive with him. It's, he's confident. He probably knows he has the player of the year trophy already. He's already have to live in the Champions League, the Super Cup, the Club World Club Cup. Now he has the Premier League trophy and maybe more, maybe even more this season. But those boys were 8 to 9 out of 10. The rest were fairly average. Everybody else was pretty standard, to be honest. Bobby was okay. Ox was okay. Salah was okay. But uh, as I said, Alison Becker was my man of the match today. Decent shout, a decent shout. Um, I like. It. I thought Henderson was was superb, absolutely superb. Um, interesting. Though, I'm looking at uh, some stats on on whoscored.com. They had Naby Keita as man of the match, which is a, an interesting call. Um, he had a, a, a five tackles, which is uh, the most in the team. He, of course, he almost scored himself. It was a a great save, but you would think, you know, he'd be disappointed not to score that one. But five tackles, that one very big chance, so he almost scored. That was one of three shots he had, which was joint second most in the team with, with Trent, oddly. Um, and uh, the most in the team was Mo Salah. So he had three shots, two of them on target. He had one key pass, two dribbles. Um, he, you know, dribbled past about four people in the first half, I remember. Um, but uh, I don't know. I thought his game was, was good, but I thought that maybe uh, it wasn't quite... I don't know. For me, he lacked a tiny little bit of... Um, cohesion with the others. Alison Becker was excellent. Henderson was excellent. Um, is there anyone else we're forgetting, Fergus, or people who stood out from today? That centre-back for Norwich, Zimmerman, 
was excellent, you know, really caught the eye today. And I'm sure Klopp, as a former centre-back, will be looking at him, you know, as one of these potential bargain buys. But I have never seen Zimmerman before. I don't know anything about him, but he really stood out today. Um, and as for Liverpool, uh, I think uh, I agree with the stats that, that for me, even though n- none of our players really excelled, I agree that uh, I thought that Keita was our best player. And um, apart from that, Alisson, you know, that save in the first half, once again, coming up trumps, when it looked like Norwich were going to score against any mortal goalkeeper they would have scored. But he just timed it absolutely right. It wasn't even a one-on-one, it was a two-on-one. There were two players in front of him, one passed to the other, and he managed to intercept the pass with his hand. And that was brilliant. So for us, uh, I thought our best player, Robbo, was good. Gomez was good, BVD was good, and Keita. And, you know, Salah did his best. He was hit and miss today, as he sometimes is. Uh, but overall, yes, I thought, um, for me, Keita was our man of the match. Interesting stuff. Yeah, thank you very much for that. Um, yeah, just uh, about Zimmerman. Um, I thought, uh, for me, Grant Handley, Hanley stood out um, as well. Uh, their centre-backs were excellent. Um uh, Zimmerman is 27 years old. He's a German centre-back. Um, he had two tackles, one interception and nine clearances, which is whopping today. So he had a really good match. Um, and Grant Hanley had one tackle, five interceptions and five clearances. They were very organised, Norwich, and I think they deserve some credit, Dave, the way that they set up uh Daniel Farker was talking in his pre-match press conference that they're going to attack, but, you know, he tried to throw a curveball, which, of course, you know, um, I don't know, we just swatted it away with three points. But he he had at least five defenders on parked on the 18-yard line for Norwich and, um, excuse me, Windy Pops. Um, It's... um, I don't know. They were they were good, Dave. They were good, Norwich. This is not a, a a weak league. This is the bottom team who gave us a real test today. Yeah, I mean, Norwich are a good side. They play lovely football. They they played some lovely football today. They actually ran rings around Liverpool a few times with their passing and playing out in defence and none of this hoofing the ball. The bottom of the league. I can't believe the bottom of the league. They've only won four league games out of 26, which is ridiculous. I think it's six draws and 16 losses or something ridiculous like that, but four wins all season. And to think they beat Manchester City Visa card boys um, at their ground is is, is unreal. Um, Farka, the, the manager, of course, has been playing really, really good football. And if if two or three really good young lads who, to be honest, I think they're going to get relegated. I think it's a done deal. Um, they're going to find it hard to hold on to these. Uh, Zimmerman, the, the, the young centre-back, of course. Uh, Cantwell's a good young lad. Hanley's a good player. Pukey up front. They've really got like three or four good players that will want to... Will, you'll have top Premier League teams looking at them. There's no doubt about it. Because as you say, Norwich look like they're relegated already. But um, I'm surprised they, were, they are where they are. I mean, at the start of the season... Um, I, I tipped them to go down, of course. I tipped them and Sheffield United to go down, by the way. And look where Sheffield United are now. But, um, yeah, it's always hard coming up, um, Norwich. But they've a lovely ground. They've a lovely, uh, well-run club. You know, really well-run club. Great fans. It's sad to see them go. Um, but, to be honest, 
they just don't have that finishing touch, do they really? I mean, the two or three chances didn't take their chances. You can play all the nice football all you want, all day, all night long, as Lionel Richie would say. But at the end of the day, you have to score when, when you have your chance. That was a big chance that Becker intercepted the pass. If they would have scored there, who knows what would have happened. But um, to be honest, Owen, I'm really surprised that um, they've only four wins in the league and, and they're going to get relegated. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Um, in terms of someone who could have done better, now it's hard to, to find fault with this team, but I thought someone who could have done better today, Fergus, was Jeannie Vineldum. Um He has these games where... Um, it's not that he's completely anonymous. If you, I mean, if you look at his passing stats, for example, he had ninety six point seven passing accuracy, which is absolutely phenomenal. I mean, compare him to, for example, Cater with seventy five, or Henderson with eighty. Genie Vinell's finished that game with ninety six point seven percent passing accuracy, which is phenomenal. But then you look at how many touches of the ball he got. Naby Keita had 70, Henderson had 76, and Jorginho Wijnaldum only had 30 touches. And this is something that, I don't know, he's such a brilliant player. He's an amazing footballer. But it for someone who's, you know, who's, who's place is under threat because he's in a midfield when, and that's the area of the pitch where we have the most competition. Would you agree with me that perhaps he should be you know, taking a bit more responsibility or doing more, at least getting on the ball more, or is there something I'm completely missing? Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I think uh, Genie is someone who thrives in very high-level matches. I mean, we saw him in the Barcelona game, probably the match of his life, in the 4-0 at Anfield, where he came on and scored two. Um, and I think he, he thrives in those very high-level matches. But one thing I will say is something I heard on the Anfield rap, which is he's a player who covers passing lanes. Now, that's a very sung job, because what he's doing is he's filling in. When, when the opposition have the ball, he's covering the passing lanes from A to B. So when Cantwell has the ball, he's covering the passing lane from whoever Cantwell wants to pass it to. And that's, that's not a job that goes, that's, that's noticed unless you're watching him. But I, I, I totally agree that watching the game today, Genie did not stand out at all. And, and the other thing that he does very well, which is also unsung, is he, he's, a, he, he's one of those players which just transfers the ball. He, get, he receives it and he passes it on. And, you know, most of the time that's all he's doing is receiving the ball, sometimes often under pressure. And how many times have we seen Genie receive the ball under pressure from two players or three players and not lose it? So in that sense, he's very, his skills don't show up on stats. They don't show up very well often in, in, to the eye when people watch because all he's doing is making it look simple. He receives the ball under pressure often and just lays it off and finds a teammate and doesn't lose it. So that's why he had a 90% passing accuracy today. So, you know, it, it wasn't an outstanding game by Genie, but, you know, he, he did a, a very functional job in midfield. He did. He's the reason, you know, in, in a way, it's the reason why he's one of the first names on the team sheet because he does that covering passing lanes and not losing the ball, which is, you know, the, the two of the most important things to Klopp. 
But I mean, having said that, when Fabinho came on, moving on to a different player, which you probably who you're probably going to move on to, but he was fabulous today, and he showed you what a classy footballer he is when he came on. Yeah, very interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, with Genie. Yeah, I just. I mean, he's amazing. Yeah, he is amazing at cover- covering passing lanes. He, there is a reason why, you know, all the top teams in Europe are, you know, at least, you know, talking about him, scouting and making inquiries about Jeannie Vijnaldum, so I hear, through the grapevine, um, because he's he's respected with his for his amazing talent, but I just want him to do it more. That's all. That's all. But yes, as you mentioned, Fabinho. Dave, Fabinho. Um, he's beautiful. Isn't it? The fabulous Brazilian Fabinho. Wow. <laughs> we got him for a sniff from Monaco for it. He was 40 million last year. Everybody boxed that and went, who's this guy Fabinho? Not many people knew about him. You probably knew a lot more about him about him being um, in, in France. But um, wow, what, what a steal he was. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, as Fergus said, when he came on for the last, say, 20 minutes of that game, what a player to come on. Imagine bringing Fabinho, Fabinho and Mane on for the last, what, half an hour, 25 minutes in a game. It's unbelievable, the strength of the squad at the moment. It really, really is. But Fabinho, I've loved Fabinho ever since he came in. Just before his injury, I think he got injured in the City game where we beat them 3-0 and he scored that wondrous goal at Anfield. He was, he was probably the player of the season up to that game. He was that important to us. And when he got injured, I got worried. I was really worried. I thought we'd slip points or we'd lose points. And I was really worried. But we have kicked on from there. And Fabinho will ease his way back into the team. And to be honest, I, I can see Fabinho starting against Atletico Madrid on Tuesday in the Champions League. Big game player like him. I can see him coming in. And Mane, obviously, as well, starting. So they'd be the two changes in the, the team sheet from the Norwich game, Fabinho and Mane in for the Atletico game. But uh, what a player. I mean, he scores goals, he covers ground, big long legs, the big, like, well, like unbelievable, like, across the prayer, like, you know, the Serengeti with those long legs, the big, I don't even know what you're going to call him, but it just has those legs that can cover ground get in get in amongst players and get the last ditch tackle in then he's got that Brazilian touch and he can score goals as well and he's bald as well he's streamlined he's fabulous he's Brazilian <laughs> he is Fabinho <laughs> brilliant absolutely yes I mean he reminds me of the monster uh, from, from the other dimension in Stranger Things because he's got that many legs uh, and he's that big and dominant in his world. Um, I, I can't. I mean, it's fantastic. You mentioned the Atletico Madrid uh, game. Let's move on because I think that must be at the forefront of our minds now. Back into the Champions League, the champions. I can't wait for this match, Fergus. Um, it, I just, I can't wait. Tuesday night. How are you feeling about it? Well, I'm. I probably, if anything, I'm a bit overconfident because Atletico haven't been doing well in La Liga. Um, everyone's talking about um, Simeone coming to the end of his reign. Atletico aren't, you know, that their style doesn't really suit the modern game anymore. They're not surprising teams anymore. The 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 way they've tried to. Um, augment their squad and transform their style from that sort of ultra-defensive playing on the counter-attack and keeping it tight kind of approach. You know, they brought Joao Felix and 
and um, I forget the name of the player, but they bought a, a, small, a player from France as well in midfield uh, for a lot of money, someone Liverpool was interested in. But they haven't really been able to to challenge and to, you know, they got to a European Cup final a few years ago and they, they, they came close to winning La Liga, but now they're nowhere near it. So in a way, I'm very, I'm a bit overconfident that I think we should do them. Uh, plus, we're going back to the stadium on European Cup, so that'll be happy mem- memories for the players. But, you know, I just hope that my own overconfidence is not anything to do with how the players feel. I'm sure it isn't because they're in their own bubble. And um, I'm sure Klopp will have them hyped up and ready for the performance. So, you know, if we can, if we can get a 1-0 or even a, a draw away from home, you know, Anfield, you know, Liverpool has, has never never lost a two-legged home tie uh, under Klopp. So, you know, Anfield should do it, and that's how I feel about the tie. We should, we should get it done. I can understand your optimism, looking at how good we are, and looking at how relatively poor Atletico are this season. Uh, for the listeners who don't know, they, they have one win in their last six matches, including their last match, which was a 2-2 draw away to Valencia. I watched that match. Um, I thought... Whew, I don't know. I just I think uh, Van Dijk is going to get one from a corner. I don't know why. That's my instinct. But uh, they've only scored twenty five goals in twenty four matches. Dave, their their xG is way above their actual G. Uh, on the other hand, defensively in the Champions League, they have equal. They have the equal best. Uh, XG against only 3.5 XG against in the Champions League this season which is equal best with Juventus so they're going to set up defensively they're going to puck the bus again and against us like today if Norwich can do it I don't know I'm a bit worried that maybe Atletico Madrid they've got better players than Norwich they can do an even better job against us how are you feeling Dave? Yeah, I'm, I'm not as straightforward saying we're going to hammer them in both games and win and go through to the quarterfinals, anything anything like that. I'll tell you, Atletico remind me of Spurs. I mean, they've had two or three really, three or four really good seasons where they almost won the league. They're right up there at the top, fighting against Barcelona, fighting against Real Madrid, get into a Champions League final like Spurs did, but have dropped away and dropped away drastically, especially this season. Okay, they've lost a few players. Um, big players and that doesn't help but the hard to score against them tough side you know they're well drilled side Diego Simeone has done an unbelievable job there the new stadium Metropolitaniano that we won the Champions League number six of course will have fond memories for Liverpool travelling fans but to be honest I would take a score draw there and need to score get a goal the way goal is huge in Europe as we all know I'd even take a 1-1 now bring it back to Anfield and I'd be confident to beat anybody in Anfield as you know as every Reds and Liverpool fans know but I definitely would take a score draw um, definitely against Atletico and it's going to be a tough game there's no doubt about it I, I, I don't think we'll beat them there score draw do we bring back to Anfield and do them but um, it's a different game it's, they'll set up differently they'll be elbowing they'll be dying they'll be kicking they'll be rough they'll rough and tumble um, it'll be just a totally different game than the Premier League game but we're so used to it we were in the last two Champions League finals we're unbelievable we have an unbelievable Champions League I'm sure they're not looking forward to playing us as well in the form we are in but um, I'm expecting a really really tough game and not much in it over two 
two games, aggregate wise, but I, but I, but to be honest, I would be confident of us going through into the quarters. Yeah, staying with you, Dave. Um, you said we should bring Mane and Fabinho back into the team um, in place of, well, presumably Chamberlain, obviously on on the left wing. But what midfield would you would you go with? I, I tell you what, I, I well obviously the back five speak for themselves: Allison, Trent, Gomez, uh, DVD, and uh, Robbo. That the back five will be the back five. I'd play the front three: Mane, Firmino, and Salah. The midfield is the big. It always has been the big conundrum for Liverpool over the last two seasons because there's usually the ones he, he always changes. I'd have Fabinho, Henderson, and I'd love to see Keita in there, but would he go? All out, I don't know. He might play Genie. He might just keep it simple. He might play Fabinho, Hendo and Genie in the middle. He likes these big games, big Champions League games. He doesn't usually take risks away from home in the big games. So Fab, Hendo, Genie in the middle three and the rest pick themselves. I, that's a very interesting answer. Yeah, I mean, I just wonder, Fergus, though, if this is the game uh, to bring Cater in for... Vinealdum on current form, uh, just because you know you need someone to uh, pick the lock, and Naby Keita's got the imagination and the cunning to do so. What do you think? Yeah, I'm a big Keita fan. I mean, I, I I do say probably somewhat controversially that I think he's he's on what I've seen, he's our most gifted footballer, and. Uh, 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 he's just a beautiful footballer. He's he glides across the pitch. He's got a fabulous touch. His head's up. He could do everything, score, and find a key pass and dribble. Um, he hasn't scored enough for us. And I think you saw from the save from um, Tim Krul exactly. He, he, how many times has Cater got through, and been fouled where he should have had a penalty? Or had a brilliant save from the keeper, deny him. But he, he he's he, he should be getting like a, at least a half a goal a game or a goal a game because that's the kind of positions he gets himself into. So he's a fabulous player. Uh, the only thing he hasn't been able to avoid is, is, is injuries, and he's had serious injuries with Liverpool. So if he can get a run of games, he's always a, a great addition to the team. But um, I, I was actually at the... Uh, Napoli versus Liverpool game two seasons ago when, when we lost 1-0 and Keita went off injured, if you remember, after about 19 minutes. He kind of, I was in the stadium and he just sort of keeled over. No one was after 19 minutes and he was stretched off. And that's kind of typical of how Keita has been. You know, looks like he's going great and then suddenly he's just out for an injury, some mysterious unknown injury. So I, I would think that Klopp, in a big away game, in the Wonder Metro, Metropolitano in Madrid, I'm sure he's going to go with the, the safe and obvious choice, which, which is Wijnaldum, and have Keita off the bench if he needs him. And he might start Keita at home in the second leg. That's the way I think it'll, it'll go. So I, I agree with Dave on that. I think it'll, he'll go for the, the, the standard 11 with, with Genie, you know, the safe pick in midfield. And to be honest, I mean, either team would just be absolutely phenomenal. But let's say, I mean, I think you guys are right. I think Klopp will, away from home in the first leg, go for Genie, Hendo and Fab. So that means that our bench would probably be Adrian, Lovren, Milner, Chamberlain, Cater, 
Lalana and Origi, and that is brilliant, isn't it? It's so nice to have everybody back, coming back at the same time. Klopp, uh, what was the word he used? A word with this C, comfortable. It's the most comfortable position he's been in uh, as, a, as a manager. And I love that word because a lot of other managers use the word headache when everybody's fit, but he calls it comfortable. He's on the aspirin, Jürgen, and he's uh, he's feeling good about this one. Um, so what's your prediction, Dave, both for Tuesday uh, and the aggregate score then? Just a narrow, two narrow wins for Liverpool? What do you reckon? No, I, I think we'll get a score draw on Tuesday, something like a 1-1 and maybe beat them 2-0 at Anfield. So I'd, I would go 3-1 on aggregate um, to Liverpool over the two legs. Um, another thing as well, just before we go, um, Minamino, Takumi Minamino wasn't even in the squad today. What a player, wasn't even in the squad. Matip wasn't in the squad. Shakiri's out injured. This squad is beautiful. It is. We have a better bench than a park bench on a Saturday sunny afternoon with a beer in your hand sitting on the bench looking at the day go by 3-1 Liverpool over two legs that's a great prediction and a beautiful image Fergus what do you reckon yeah I'd go for a similar I'd probably go for a 1-1 on uh, on um, Tuesday and a 2-0 in the second leg so I'd be I'd be with Dave on that so 3-1 overall I expect us to advance for uh, Atletico Madrid, they're not at their best um, and I'd expect you know, in, the, in one of the other uh, key ties which we'll all have our eyes on I expect Real Madrid to beat Man City as well, so City obviously are in all sorts of trouble now over their FFP breaches it looks like UEFA finally got the uh, cajones now to, to challenge them, to take them on publicly to, 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 to take this on and and it looks like City and Guardiola are really in trouble. So, you know, it could be it could be the the, the demise of a, of a great side over the last couple of years. And you know, happy for us, Liverpool. You know, we we're as far as I'm concerned, we have been since we won it last year, favourites to win the Champions League. And hopefully, we will go on to win it. But there's going to be tough ties. But um, Anfield is always the the trump card in in all of our ties over two legs going up to the final, so I expect us to be in Istanbul uh, come May. I, I love the optimism, yeah. I mean, lots of people booking uh, tickets for the parade for the Premier League. You know, hold up, hold your horses. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves here on Cop On Podcast, but, you know, I think a, a sneaky trip to Istanbul is on the cards. You know, it'd be difficult to get there. Uh, but, yeah, thank you for mentioning Manchester City. Let's move on to our next uh, segment of the show but just before we do let me just say that uh, on cop on um you should have we we're double dropping episodes this weekend we're going mad for it like a 90s rave weekend and you will be able to hear an atletico madrid preview with a uh, an excellent sports journalist uh, from arizona who's a massive atletico madrid fan called jeremy so do 
check that out. But now we're going to talk about Man City. The UEFA statement, the official statement from UEFA, um, I'm going to read it as quickly as I can because I think this is important. You know, ignore all the noise on social media, etc. This is what UEFA had to say, okay? Following a hearing held on the 22nd of January 2020, the adjudicatory chamber of the UEFA club financial control body, the CFCB, chaired by Jose de Cunha Rodriguez, has today notified Man City Football Club of the final decision on the case which was referred by the CFCB chief investigator. The adjudicatory chamber, having considered all the evidence, has found that Manchester City FC committed serious breaches of the UEFA club licensing and financial fair play regulations by overstating its sponsorship revenue in its accounts and in the break-even information submitted to UEFA between 2012 and 2016. Those dates are important, 2012 and 2016. Okay, and the statement continues, the adjudicatory chamber has also found that in breach of the regulations, the club failed to cooperate in the investigation of this case by the CFCB. The decision of the adjudicatory chamber is subject to appeal to the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the CAS, if Manchester City Football Club exercises that right, the full reasoned decision of the adjudicatory chamber will not be published prior to publication of the final award by the CAS. So basically, UEFA are... Um, you know, they, they are keeping back what they really want to say until it's all finished. Um, Dave, it's an absolute bombshell. Uh, it's 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 like this season. It's like you gave my seven-year-old nephew, who's really into Liverpool, but he's still a child. You gave him um, the 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 keys to destiny at the start of the season, and you said design a season. And this is what a seven-year-old Liverpool fan would do, minus the legal jargon. Dave, it's incredible this story. If Carlsberg made stories. This season would be, <laughs> yeah, like it, you know, it's it's been unbelievable. Um, not only what we're doing, but City's demise. I mean, it's it's six losses in the league, possibility of two seasons out of the Champions League, and I agree with Fergus. I can't see them getting past Real Madrid either. I really can't over two legs. I think Madrid will do them. I think I think Pep will have to go in for a hair transplant after this. He's going to, he, I, 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 to be honest, he could even go into summer. If this comes true, the whole legacy dynasty of City could come crashing down. What UEFA were worried about, I mean, they fined them in 2014. They gave them a bit of a slap and warned them, but they kept it up, kept breaching rules, kept, to be honest, couldn't care less about UEFA or anybody else because they've lots and lots of money. And money talks in this modern world. That's unfortunately, and to be honest, I heard them um, Sky's sports news talking about it last night, and they were talking to one of the, the journalists, and he's saying he said that UEFA were expecting an appeal, which they will get an appeal, of course, from City, and that City had more money than UEFA, 
And you know what that means? It's a bit like the what was the famous um, case back in the 80s in America with um, the guy that got uh, killed his wife. What was that one? You know, the famous... Uh, he got away oh, with it, basically. O.J. Simpson. Simpson. Yeah. Yes. OJ, this is going to turn into an O.J. Simpson. I can see City paying their way out of this, you know that? It depends if you wait for stand still, and maybe they've even more on them. Some guy got caught hacking. He's in jail in Portugal or something and hacked a few people's servers, and Man City were one of them and gave over information, a bit of a, a an Edward Snowden in the footballing terms. And um, I think PSG are probably looking over their shoulder as well. They're probably a little worried. And other teams as well, maybe. But to be honest, football could be ruined by, by, by money and especially state sponsorship, which is, I think, what they're really worried about. Like big Middle Eastern companies or countries coming in and pumping money in, Emirates, you know, pumping money in into clubs and more or less laundering the money through clubs. And that's the big elephant in the room for City. But um, to be honest, they deserve it. Um, I'm feeling sorry for the fans, to be honest, because it's not the fans' fault. It's not even Pep Guardiola's fault or, or his management's fault. It's the owners. And um, I'm just delighted that UEFA have stood up against them. And, um, they deserve some sort of a slap. And uh, two, two, two seasons out of the Champions League would be unbelievable. Wow. Yeah, wow, indeed. That's a great word for it. Um, Fergus, the, the Manchester City's response, I find that I found it, I don't know. I'll see what you think. Um, their official club statement goes as follows. Manchester City is disappointed but not surprised by today's announcement by the UEFA adjudicatory chamber. The club has always anticipated the ultimate need to seek out an independent body and process to impartially consider the comprehensive body of irrefutable evidence in support of its position. In December 2018, the UEFA chief investigator publicly previewed the outcome and sanction he intended to be delivered to Manchester City before any investigation had even begun. The subsequent flawed and consistently leaked UEFA process he oversaw has meant that there was little doubt in the result that he would deliver. The club has formally complained to the UEFA disciplinary body, a complaint which was validated by a CAS ruling. Simply put, this is a case initiated by UEFA, prosecuted by UEFA and judged by UEFA. With this prejudicial process now over, the club will pursue an impartial judgment as quickly as possible and will therefore, in the first instance, commence proceedings with the Court of Arbitration for Sport at the earliest opportunity. Wow! What do you reckon, Fergus? Well, City's statement, in, no, in no, no place in that statement, and they go into quite a lot of detail, do they actually refute the arguments against them. They don't actually refute the case against them. What they do do, and this is anyone who's familiar with reading between the lines in any type of legal argument, will see that they're not, they're not arguing against the case. They are attacking the people who brought the case. So you'll see they're attacking the he. I don't know the name of the gentleman. It's not mentioned in the statement, but they mentioned that the name of the official who has brought the case against them, who has publicized the case against them, etc. They criticize UEFA for bringing the case, but in no place whatsoever do they actually refute the argument. Have um, 
cooked the books, um, financially mismanaged um, their club, and that they have flouted the rules. They, do, they don't even mention, they don't even fight that case in, in, in their statement, which, which is, is basically an admission of guilt to anyone who can read between the lines in these things. And I'm sure UEFA, I mean, as, as, as you mentioned, or as Dave mentioned, that uh, you know, the City are richer than UEFA, and UEFA are only bringing this because they think they've got a very strong case, and they think that the, the CAS, Court of Arbitration for Sport, will uphold their case. So that's why, that's why they're, they're confident about bringing it. So, I mean, City were a, a, a bottom-of-the-table club like West Ham. You know, they were a yo-yo club for any of the younger listeners before uh, the, the, what they call Mashouds, Masouds took over. Um, so... So, um, you know, that, that's, that's the type of club they are. I'm not saying they're going to revert to that. I mean, they've probably gone to, to revert to that. But they've, what they have done is flout the regulations in every possible way through blatant um, uh, misallocation of, of accounting to, to, to overstate their income, uh, bringing in cash from, from bogus subsidiaries, and and yeah, that they deserve everything they get. You know, they deserve to be to be um, thrown out of of the Champions League at, at the very least. And the Premier League, the Premier League, unfortunately, doesn't isn't really. Um, it, it's not the type of organisation. It doesn't even have the strength of UEFA. So it it won't sanction Man City like uh, like UEFA has done. Everyone says UEFA is weak and corrupt, but the FA. I mean, who knows? It, it's not even. It's. It, it doesn't even have the strength of UEFA. It's not going to sanction Man City, because the FA is basically an organisation of of the twenty clubs. That are league. Sorry, I mean the Premier League is the one who can sanction City, not the FA. But they don't even have the strength of UEFA because they are an organisation of twenty clubs, of which City is one. So they're not going to sanction City. So, I mean, well done to UEFA and, you know, other clubs might have done it to a lesser degree, but City have done it so blatantly. And um, let's see, it, it might be reduced to one year in, in, on appeal, but at least UEFA has acted, which is really good. It doesn't solve all of the problems of money in football, but at least it, it does something to address those problems. Yeah, it's an excellent answer. Um, yeah, interest about the Premier League and how uh, they might uh, dock City points, which would really make absolutely zero difference if they do, but that will be a, a nice sort of PR stunt by the Premier League to say, look, we took action against City, uh, whereas really they might not uh, at all, as you rightly say, Fergus, because they're, you know, it's all part of the same organisation. Um, but it's 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 so interesting. And you wonder with this with this yo-yo team, I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, imagine if if Norwich themselves got a, a billionaire owner. It's got quite a similar history, I think, to to Manchester Manchester City before the uh, the the Abu Dhabi family um, uh, came in, um, you know. So imagine, you know, Norwich got taken over by a, a basically a state and uh, got all the money pumped into them, and they, you know, if, and there was another um, competitor to the Premier League. Um, 
as soon as things go a bit pear-shaped, they may well just leave Norwich City in this hypothetical situation, just like I think the Mansours might just leave Manchester City. And then when where are they? Because they haven't made that many friends, that many fans in the past 10 years. The Etihad is just as empty as, uh, you know, it's it's always been, really. They haven't, you know, there are some young people getting into football who are who have become Man City fans, but they're by no way, by no one's estimate, are they a a big club, you know, in terms of a fan base, by, by nobody's es- estimate across the world. So this, I think, is the danger of money in football, if they are allowed, if they're not checked, these uh, billionaires, if they're states, if they're individuals. And, uh, you know, maybe Everton is next. That would be very funny. Um, if the Premier League do grow a pair and uh, sanction Manchester City, Dave, they could take away some of their titles. And remember that this investigation uh, covered the years between 2012 and 2016. Um, so if they did take away their titles, that means that Man United would have another one uh, from the 11-12 season with the Aguero last-minute goal. Uh, and uh, Liverpool would have one for 13-14. But they wouldn't really... I don't know. I, I wouldn't like that. I don't know how you feel about about that, Dave. I'd rather just say that those seasons were null rather than give the league title to the second-place team. Um, it's hypothetical. Uh, but uh, what do you think about that possibility that we could gain an extra title and United could if the Premier League took serious action against Man City. Yeah, I, I can't see it happening, to be honest with you. Um, I wouldn't like it, as you said. I would. I, I don't want retrospective, you know, something that happened back in 2012. They got slapped in 2014, so I, I presume it wouldn't be, it'd be after 2014 because they were checked out in 2014. They did something wrong and they were slapped, so I doubt they'd go further back if they were going to go, but I can't see anything happening. The, the Premier League or FA are too weak. But what they could do is they could deduct them 10 or 12 points from the start of next season in the league. So they start the season as minus 10 or minus 12 points. So they have to win, say, four or five games before they get level. You know, something like that maybe, and a big heavy fine, that that would be possible. Or maybe give them a transfer ban. You know, something like that. I, I can't see going back. You know, uh, last season we lost it by a point and giving it to us. It would be a hollow victory, to be honest. I don't want that. It'd be a tainted title. But what I would like to see if the Premier League are going to do something, which I don't think they are going to do something, would be to do something like a transfer embargo and City for a season or two with a heavy fine or a points deduction at the start of the 2020-21 season or maybe 10 or 12 or even maybe 15 points like they do in rugby. Maybe something like that seems um, more realistic. Yeah, that would be uh, that would be very nice if they started twelve points behind next season. Uh, but it's uh, it's huge news, and uh, we could talk about it forever. But uh, we, you know, we've we've just about run out of time. Um, I want to go back to Liverpool, and just because it's beautiful, just because it's um, you know the best start after twenty six games. I'll say it again in league history, and when I say league history, I mean any league that matters. It's the best start by any team ever. Um, there's a sense of shock about it, Fergus, but 
I mean, this is a once in a lifetime season. And just, you know, tell me that you're enjoying it. Tell me how much you're loving it. Yeah, I think uh, like any Liverpool fan, probably like any uh, Liverpool fan of my vintage who's experienced the um, the glory days of the 80s, even the, the sadness of things like Heisel, but then the, the sort of... Um, you know, the great days of 89, 90 and the last time we won a title and then going into um, Hillsborough, how sad that was. And, and then the, the whole, all of the false dawns that have happened since about, you know, since 1990, really. Uh, we had Evans, we had Houllier, we had Benitez, who happened to win a, a Champions League with a, with a very inferior team. You know, a bit of a lucky win, but you know, deserved nonetheless. And then uh, uh, the low point, the the ultra low point of of Hodgson, false dawn again with Brendan Rodgers. I mean, to all of that—that's thirty years, you know. Which, as a Liverpool fan, you li- you live and breathe it every day. So to to experience this season, it's um, I'm in dreamland. I said to one of my best friends. Um, Shout out to Larry from Enniskillen. He's um he's one of my best friends and and he's a Man United fan. He can't help it, you know. He's even older than me. He remembers the the Busby Babes. So he's a great friend of mine, and we always have a laugh and a joke. And you know, he lived through the the glory days for him, which he was a friend of mine then when they had Rooney, Giggs, Alex Ferguson, and f- for him, you know, that was the best team and the best time of his life in terms of being a football supporter. You know, and and I I text him and talk to him now, and and he appreciates and 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 th- that I'm enjoying it, uh, what we're going through now. So yeah, it, it's it's a fabulous time, but you know, and and there's a lot of a lot of loose words thrown about right now by j- mainstream media journalists, journalists employed by large organisations who, I I don't think you know m- most of them aren't aren't very clever, and and I think being a journalist. Doesn't you know? Doesn't rate you or qualify you. You don't have to be qualified very highly to become a journalist these days. It's mostly about contacts and being able to write a few words. But I mean, a lot of the, those people are just saying that this is the greatest Liverpool team ever. That's absolute rubbish. Because okay, first of all, define a team. You know, are you talking eleven players? Are you talking eighteen players? Okay, we can say potentially this is the best Liverpool season ever. Yes, season. As for a team. 11 or 18 players, let's say, let's say it is definition. If you're going to ask any question, you've got to make a definition. And definition, a team, let's say it's 18 players. So the best 18 players ever is not this Liverpool team. It's probably the one that Phil Neal played in and others played in that won six league titles and three European Cups. That's probably the best Liverpool team ever if you want to go you know, to those sort of insubstantive and, and very hard to prove definitions. Um, so, because you can't compare teams across eras. Now, if you want to make bold statements, you can say that this is the best Liverpool season ever. Yes, it is the best Liverpool season ever. But wait till this team has defended the league title next year, which I know Klopp and, and the backroom staff are already making attempts to do. Wait till we win, hopefully. I, I, I'm confident we'll get to a second Champions League final this year in a row. Sorry, third one in a row, and, and get to get to a, a final again this year. But then a final is is potluck. It's hit and miss. 
do you show up on the day? Will there be, what will the referee do? What will the VAR do, etc.? So let's see if we win the Champions League again this year. But once you start getting to a second and third league title and second and third Champions League, then you start talking about the greatest Liverpool team ever. And that's where I am on that. But um, as for the actual enjoyment now of being a fan of Liverpool, yes, it's, it's absolutely fantastic to be living this after so many years of um, disappointment and false dawns and sadness, really. Yeah, I mean, I've been there as well for the past 30 years. Uh, Dave, you have as well. How much are you enjoying it? Yeah, I'm following Liverpool since the early 80s. Um, I sound a lot, I sound a lot, a lot older. That's the, that's, the, that's the Hodgson years. <laughs> no, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm early 80s. I'm following, I'm following them well. And the 83, 84 was my first season following Liverpool. I was about 10, so I'm giving, giving my age away. But anyway, listen. Fergus is spot on. I mean, you hear all this bullshit about best ever team, best ever, you know, this, best ever. It's show me your medals. Show me your trophies. That defines greatness. It's trophies and medals. Is this the best ever Liverpool team in one season? Possibly. If we win the FA Cup, maybe the double or, or the Champions League and league, that's possible. Premier League as in league team? Yes. Best Premier League team ever? Yes. Both. It's hard to define, as, as Fergus was saying as well, we haven't won it since 1990. you remember. Jack Charlton bringing Ireland to, to Italy. and uh, I mean, it's that far back. It's so far back. And a lot of Liverpool fans are in their 20s, 30s now. They wouldn't remember the Liverpool 80s great, 70s and 80s sides that were fantastic. But it was a different era. It was different football. Money wasn't as prevalent in them days. Do you have a drink before the game and probably a smoke before the game? There wasn't a sports science. It's ju- it was just different. It was a different world, different dimension. This team are interstellar in a different dimension now. With all the money in it now, it's even harder, I think. It's actually harder. There's so many teams at the top level. All the players are athletes, basically. They're all millionaires. They're athletes. It's a different level. This team right now are record breakers. But are they the best ever Liverpool team at them ever to see? No. Well, could they be? Possibly. Time will tell, and time is the, is the one thing that will tell. But to be honest, I'm loving it. I'm in dreamland. I'm in Area 51. Every morning I wake up, I, I can't believe it. I'm a lot of United fans. My father-in-law is a big Manchester City fan. He was the head scout in the 70s. He's an Irish international. He's played senior football for Rovers, Bowles, Dundalk, played in Canada, played in America. He knows everything. He's 79 yesterday. He's big, big. Uh, football fan and he's a mad Man City fan but I haven't gone near him today or said anything to him about it because he is not a happy man but as he's already said to me before this is your year enjoy it comes around in cycles comes around every, every team has a cycle look at history history itself is a cycle great AC Milan teams great United teams great Chelsea great Liverpool teams great Forest team great Leeds team every team has a cycle and this is Liverpool's time again. It's Liverpool's title. Clock is on its way. And I am in dreamland. Yeah, great stuff. And that's a great... It's a great place to leave it. Um, we could talk about so many other things. We didn't even get on to, for example, strong rumours about Timo Werner. Maybe we can get even better. But i just got to say, I agree with you both. Uh, talk of the greatest team ever is uh, only valid after we've clinched our sixth league title in nine years. Uh, but for now, let's just get in Klopp's sidecar as he's 
riding this cycle, pedalling furiously towards the moon. Thank you very much, Dave, and thank you very much, Fergus. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you, gentlemen. So there we have it. Another episode just about wrapped up. But before you take it home and present it to your valentine on a purple satin cushion, let me simply remind you that you can follow us on Twitter, at CopOnPodcast. You can send us junk mail or photos of your junk that will be deleted, sorry, to CopOnPodcast at gmail.com. You can support us via Patreon.com forward slash CopOnPodcast. Or if none of that ripples your nipples or grabs your flab, then you can simply help us a lot by sharing Copon with your local electrician, physician, politician, musician, aesthetician, optician, or mortician to name but a few. Liverpool are now even more handsomely on top of the Premier League, 25 points now, and I hope you're feeling like baby in dirty dancing, and this season is triumphantly lifting you into the air as you arch your back and point your toes. This is, after all, the time of our lives.